Hello and welcome back to the Decaf Recap. Uh, today I have my guest Trey again, and is November the fifth as we are November recording. November the fifth. <laughs> remember, remember the fifth November. Something about gun tra- uh, gunpowder treason. Uh, yeah, it's more it's more of a British holiday, but it became uh, more widely known because of what we're covering today, which is you having guests from just the the date. Uh, we're talking about V for Vendetta today, both the movie and a little bit of the comic. Um, we're going to talk more about their subject matter rather than the stories themselves. We'll do a quick recap because we are a recap uh, podcast. Sadly, I am not a person who I, – I, I actually watched the movie today, like the 2005 make of it. And I only got to like 40 minutes of it because like I was into it. But then I got distracted by something else because that's a very long-ass movie. <laughs> it is a long-ass movie, and you do not need to see all of it. Uh, small spoiler alert, uh, Natalie Portman shaves her head. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, like, uh, for the most part, we're going to um, just talk about like what the story is about. Because it's very interesting, and I wouldn't say it's exactly in the times, but there's definitely a lot of things that it uh, kind of comes back to like what we're dealing with nowadays or what certain people are dealing with. And we'll break it down into two categories that I think is very important. There's the dictator, and, there's, and then there's the anarchist. Because if, if you ever read V for Vendetta, or if you've ever seen the movie, there are certain aspects that involve both anarchy and dictatorship or fascism, and how those uh, come about, and how, they, uh, how they're alike, and how they're different. Um, but first, quick recap. Um, Trey, if you want to cover your ears and not be spoiled here, that is completely fine. But uh, you don't have to. <laughs> so basically, at least for the movie adaptation, you get the idea that we're in this type of uh, uh, post-apocalypse world. Um, basically, there's this new conservative party that has taken over uh, Britain, and they are all about the idea of keeping like just Britain, Britain, like keeping it to what they considered. I don't know their. Uh, they make a make Britain great again, make make the United Kingdom great again type of spiel, and so as a result of that, as a consequence of like the Brit, uh, the UK becoming fascist, they're just like get rid of anything that isn't British, and that can you know gets into a forms of bigotry, a form and just creating poverty for like everyone who isn't British. That's what happens in the film, and then as things continue. We have our uh, main, he's not exactly a protagonist, but more of an antagonist, codenamed V, who pops up on November the 5th, blows up uh, the old Bailey, or an uh, uh, important British icon, and then continues on like just a spree of terrorist acts, and is even broadcasting his terrorism, explaining how all this that happened, how uh, Britain became fascist, all of that, is because of the people. Like, he deliberately blames the people. I think you, uh, did you get to that point where he's broadcasting his yep. voice? And he's he's calling, like, uh, everyone out. He's saying, like, oh, this, like, the way things are is because everyone go, oh, fell in line with it. You allowed it to happen. You compromised. In, in in every sense of the word. That's what, like, the movie's about, and the comic is also about that same thing. Oh, man, yep. I got some topics, right? I'm thinking <laughs> about, of course, we gotta bring Kanye in a certain way. <laughs> like Kanye will always, as long as I'm doing a, co- a podcast with this dude Lucas, I'm always gonna find a way to bring Kanye up. <laughs> That's fair. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that Kanye quota. I am. <laughs> oh, it will happen. By all means, but uh, just to continue uh, continue a little bit into the recap, then we'll go straight to the analysis. Um, 
basically, codename V, both in the comic and in the, uh, the movie, destroys the fascist government over time. He does not live through his revolution, though. Like, he, he, he rabble-rouses everyone. He gets everyone riled up. He gets people to, like, admit, like, okay, the establishment is evil. It's not working. It's tearing us apart. So we're all going to resist. Like, everyone breaks out in anarchy. But one thing that the comic does that's very interesting that the, uh, the uh, uh, movie doesn't do is that in the comic, you get this relationship between fascism and anarchy that's very uh, similar. Just, just even just how uh, the character V dies in comparison with how, uh, how in the timing of when the, uh, the dictator dies. So the supreme leader of uh, England in this story, in the comic, he dies at the exact same time as uh, Codename V. And usually in the same fashion, like they both get shot to death. Uh, and a little bit in the movie, like they both die in the same place. But the movie doesn't seem to have that um, cinematicness that the... Uh, or not cinematicness, but that uh, chronology that the, the comic has. And the idea there is just the idea like, okay, you can be an anarchist, like you can, and you can also be a fascist, but there is a thin line between the two sometimes where you can be you know, saying, oh, this is wrong, we have to like, change everything, we need to destroy everything that's wrong, but that can easily just become a fascist rhetoric because that's exactly how the fascist um, uh, UK party came to power in this fantasy uh, post-apocalyptic uh, London. That's, that's like why that's why I wrote down a note when I was watching that that this is definitely a huge form of visual anti taken in the hands of this character named V, but also knowing that like anyone who's a visual antist is like it's pretty much you're trying to do the opposite thing with you're trying to do a good thing that can easily turn into a bad thing based on, like, the circumstances, and you can easily fall into, like, the, the same trap of, like, who you're trying to fight against. Like, basically, like, you know, the good guy growing his empire enough to, like, become the bad guy. Basically, yeah. And V himself states that numerous times, both in the comic and in the movie, he declares himself the devil or here to do the devil's work, explaining that he is a vigilante. But what he's doing can so easily just be evil. Because at the end of the day, V is working outside the law. He's declaring that the law is broken because of how fascist it is, but he doesn't um, try to pamper up what he's doing as justified or what's the word I'm looking for as completely righteous. Like at the end of the day, he's still a man who has, you know, gone around killing people. And so therefore kind of feels like he has to feel that conviction as well. At least that's the, the idea in his words. But V is... He's an interesting character, but he's also insanely messed up. Like, I don't want to spoil it too much for you, but like, uh, what happens to no, Evie? just spoil it all the way. Like, <laughs> okay. I doubt I ever come. I probably may come back to the movie, but like, <laughs> all right. So, what happens is the main protagonist, Evie, right? She's eventually captured by uh, the fascist government, and she's like, "Okay, you've been declared a threat, a terrorist." you are going to be erased. And they, they basically give her a deal. Like, hey, if you tell us where V is, we'll let you go. She doesn't say because she, A, doesn't know, and B, even if she did know, she didn't want to tell these people because she, she hates them. She hates the fascist government. So That's why she, she, she helped them out in the beginning. She did. She was an accomplice. And so the government decides, all right, well, we're going to torture you. And so there's a huge torture scene. They shave her head. That's, that's when Natalie Portman loses her hair. Gotcha. Yep. And so from that, 
she is uh, she's she's broken down physically and psychologically, but she's given she's found she finds like a little note both in the comic and in the movie, which is a very good scene. Even like how the note is written is the same in both uh, media's, and it's just about this person telling their life story of like how they came to be, and how even though they've lost everything, that they can't give up that one little inch left that they call their integrity. At the idea of, like, even if the whole world goes against you, you can't give up that thing that, like, makes you a decent human being. Even if it costs you everything, including your life. Like, that's the statement in this little note written on toilet paper. But it's just the idea, like, okay, if everything goes to shit, like, if you can't control the world, which many of us can't, your integrity is something you do have control over. And this person, this person who we don't know who she is, makes a statement like, all right, that's what's important. Keep your integrity. That's what Evie does. She, she uh, takes, uh, like, these secrets, what little she knows, to the grave. Like, she's prepared to die. And then the person, the interrogator, says, all right, you're free to go. She gets up. She walks out of the interrogation room. And turns out the whole time, she was in the shadow gallery with V. V was the one torturing her the whole fucking time. What the fuck? I... That's why I didn't want to, like, really spoil it for you, but, like, if you said you weren't going to come back to it in a long time, so I was just like, come on. But it's good. It's, it's good payoff, and I think it's one of those scenes where you can't truly spoil it. Like, once you see it, cinematically and in the comic, it's done so beautifully, because it's just... And, and the thing is, Evie asks, like, why did you do this to me? Why have you done all of this to me? Because she went through the same hell that V went through. Like, in the, she went through an internment camp, basically. Or a, a concentration camp. And so V explains that he loves her and he wants her to be free. And that's what he, this all is about. Like to show her like, okay, to truly be free, at least in V's mind, in codename V's mind, you have to experience fear and the, and the idea of absolute death or the certainty of death. And so she went through this terrible practice. And in the movie, it's a lot better in how it's received because it's just the idea that uh, Natalie Portman playing Evie, she breaks down. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But then, V explains like more of his motivations in the sense like, I wanted you to be free. This is how I became free. This is how I realized that the state of mind of the world can be, like how bad things can be, and what's important is your, like, your self-control, your integrity. But to true, at least in V's mind, it's like you had to go through all this to, to like really show, to, uh, to understand like what it meant to be free. Now, that's a very fucked up rhetoric because it involves, you know, torturing someone you quote-unquote love. So I'm not saying that these motivations there are correct, but it's interesting in showing, like, what truly matters. If everything else, like, is just going, is just running awry, you still have your integrity. That is, like, something you can control. And that seems to be a big motivation in the story. Having said that, there's a little bit of contradiction with that statement in the story itself because V deliberately goes out of his way to uh, either break people psychologically or just straight up murder them left and right and decides, okay, well, the world needs kind of like this terrorist vigilante like to take everything out that's bad in the in this country and then like just leave everything left that's quote-unquote good to hopefully make something from it. And the idea is that Evie is supposedly part of that new dawn because she's experienced what V has experienced, but she's not V. Like, at least in the, um, in the movie, she goes on and she's just a regular person. But it's the idea that she now knows, like, okay, more about, you know, what is, what is right and wrong. What does it mean to be in these terrible situations? So 
So she's less likely to become a fascist herself just because she has experienced what it's like to be on this receiving end fully and by none other than the anarchists. So she's not an anarchist by the end of the movie, nor is she uh, a fascist. She's just a person who wants to make a better tomorrow. A little bit different uh, uh, statement in the comic. In the comic, she just becomes the successor entirely, but isn't going to kill. Like she states that. She's not a killer anymore. So she uh, transitions V from a killer to more of someone who's trying to unite people and push them more toward the uh, democracy or a better dawn. But she does it through wearing the mask of V. So there's some ups and downs between the comic and the uh, um, the movie. More substance than I would say style-wise, but they're both good reads. Like they're both something I would highly recommend. Having said that, having stated more or less the plot, I really hope people don't get mad that I just spoiled like all of it. <laughs> it uh, is what it is. I suppose. But let's get into what it's about because a lot of it's just this statement of okay what does it mean to be a fascist what does it mean to be an anarchist what are uh, what are some of the notes you have like what are some thoughts you have on what you've seen well based on like what you just even told me and like the fact that a lot of what you just told me actually correlates to the certain quotes i heard in the beginning of the movie um there's a quote that paraphrase saying freedom is just perspective whereas like now you say that, like, Evie, in realizing, like, what she feel like is actually, like, true freedom, what is actually is right and wrong, is, like, going, and I like how you said, like, she had to go through that, especially along with V, having to go through whatever they had to do in order to, like, you know, realize what they actually want. Like, they had, like, their perspective of, like, freedom was changed, and, like, being, like, you know, happy like it's just like and you explained it better but i'm just like it's just very it's just i think it was just very particular just out of all the parts that i've watched since i just didn't watch like i only watched like a little bit of it but it ended on freedom it's just perspective but then like there's also that word freedom and how that is such a big thing in our constitution liberty if you give me liberty give me freedom well and and like on, on the concept of freedom like how many things are we uh, told nowadays or sold nowadays like, ooh, get this and you'll be free or ooh, do that and you'll be free. And I think a little bit of, a little bit of the statement that like V makes is the idea that you can have, you can, you, you can fight the good fight, you can have all these things, you can obtain all these things and still not be free. Because yeah. one of the big things you have to be free from is in a sense like your own perspective, your own mind. Like you have to realize true freedom to a degree is like, is just not wanting anything more than like what you have like having that integrity be like okay this is enough you know to say like oh i don't need to keep on fighting forever to say that i'll be free i just need to know when is enough like am i enough for myself type of deal yeah i might be reading a little bit too into that but i do know so much of it involves just the idea of integrity that moral code that you establish for yourself Mm -hmm. and uh being adhered to that but just saying like hey this is what i stand for this is what i want to do i don't need to continuously like strive to be free necessarily at least in the form of i'd say uh uh political strife in a situation where like you don't because a lot of like the very things that create fascism is the idea like hey we got to keep on going a little bit further like keep on doing this and that and then we'll be free like just take the history of russia and the idea like when they had the communist revolution so much of it was just like oh we got to get rid of these people and then we'll be free oh we got to get rid of this person and then we'll be free one more person, and it just kept on going. 
And it's just the idea, like, they like after that, they got rid of any like anyone who had like any sort of wealth or value, even if you were a poor farmer who just had like one more horse than the other guy or one more uh, cow than the other guy. Nope, that's a rich man. Got to take him out. That way, we'll all be free. Like that type of rhetoric of just doing whatever it takes to be free is paradoxical. And I think that's what a little bit of this movie talks about. Is just the idea like you have to like instill or find that integrity if you're uh, just to keep yourself in line from like going down. Just that to keep hole. your hum- your humanism, your humanity. Very much so. And the movie I think illustrates that a lot better with uh, with Evie in, in showing because I mean, one you have an A list actor like you know really producing a good role, and two is just the idea like okay, you don't need to be the anarchist. To like really save the world, you just have to be either an activist. You just have to be someone involved, but you don't have to like resort to just violence or such savagery to to get what you want in a situation. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, or by the end of the story, it's the idea like everyone agrees. Like everyone realizes, okay, this is bad. This is bad, and we need to, you know, unite and reform. That's something like I'd say to a degree, the movie has a bit of a positive ending, but it still has like that line, like okay. How many people want to be an anarchist, you know? Because there are plenty of times, I imagine this in the last year, people have just been like, all right, anarchy time. Trump's president. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I feel yeah. like I feel like all like our society is right now is just like your own personal anarchy against Trump and everything that the Republican Party is trying to do. Even if you're with <laughs> even if you're with like the Republican Party, there's still like a little anarchy of like how like you're like ah, Fucking Trump, like you fucking root. Like, what do we need? What do we need to do to make sure like this guy doesn't fuck, fuck up everything for us? Oh, I think there's a lot of things that uh, parallel there. I mean, to begin with, you have like I'm not putting tr- uh, words in Trump's mouth. Trump literally said last week he considers himself a bit of a nationalist. Like he said, like, oh, that's a bad word to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like I'm a nationalist. That's a very what's the word? What's uh, a nationalist again? A- Fully forget. If you're a nationalist, you are just about your nation. Like, my nation needs to be a number one. Everything else is secondary. Like, international borders, neighbors, all that doesn't matter. Like, uh, like, like nationalism is 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 a uh, part of like what ran over uh, Germany uh, when the Nazis took over. Like, they consider themselves nationalists. Like, hey, Germany's got to be first. Everyone else doesn't matter. And they took that rhetoric. I don't know, a little bit far, one might say. Actually, probably <laughs> so far to the point where, like, we're still talking about it to this day. Oh, the, the repercussions of World War II just, like, echo throughout and, the and, century. And, and, and Nazi Germany, like, the fact that, like, the swastika is just this, like, because the swastika was a very good sign. I, mean, I think this is, like, pretty common knowledge. Not, to, at least to the person, to people who have, like, a good grasp of, like, what's real and not real in reality and what, like, it's, like, if you do your history, everyone should know that, like, the swastika was an Indian sign or... It was a, a, or, a Buddhist sign. A bo- yeah, or, or, yeah. A Tibetan, Tibetan Buddhist uh, sign. And, like, uh, Hitler saw that, turned it up, uh, turned it backwards. So, like, he, he flipped it. And then they went through, apparently, I heard, like, they went through a bunch of uh, psychological... Uh, testing with the the party symbol, and they're like, okay, what really what really intimidates people? What really empowers people? Like, we want our people to like it and the other people to fear it. And they're like, okay, we're gonna put it together. They got focus groups and like, ooh, add a little bit of red in there. Yeah, that freaks people out. 
then like make the symbol a bull black and then like a white background, that terrified people. Like they built the whole symbol on the idea of fear and intimidation. Like they tested it psychologically, scientifically tested it. I did not know this. (laughs) I did not know. That makes sense why like the Nazi symbol is so like striking. It's like they were, uh, and they were fascists. But one of the big things about fascism, especially uh, uh, just back to like the movie V, is it explores that narrative uh, a little bit more in the comic than I'd say in the movie. But like the idea, like okay, what makes a fascist a fascist? Because it's very easy, especially in comics, to say like okay, good guy, bad guy, bad guy wants to destroy the world. Well, that doesn't make sense in the real world. Like no one is actively as a nation, like or in, as a leader of a nation, trying to blow up the earth. Exactly. Like, no one's. Actually, like if Russia wanted to do that tomorrow, they could do that tomorrow. They just watch one, one actually, week, and there'd be that mutually assured destruction. Actually, I think that's a good concept. Sorry, <laughs> it, just like actually think about like no one actually really wants to destroy the world because that would mean you're going to probably destroy yourself. And I feel like anyone who's gotten to that point was trying to be like on the good end and just pretty much just got so jaded to the point like it was more like self-destruction of themselves and everybody around them. People, I feel like, who really want to do bad and want to destroy the world, they're still probably doing it for a good reason, but probably the most self-righteous and selfish reason. That's like, usually those people kill themselves afterwards once, like, the job is done. But that's, like, the big thing to realize is that even if you are a fascist, like, most people who, who would see themselves as a fascist or would be defined as a fascist by, like, definition and by their actions still see themselves as the good guy. Like plenty of people, you know, do those type of terrible things. But it's the idea like, hey, it's for a good cause. It's terrible, but it's for a good cause. A good example of something that's like really terrible um, that happened recently is, uh, um, well, depending on your perspective, but like down in Brazil, like their new leader is considered a tropical Trump. Someone stated that, but it's just the idea that he's very Trumpian and if you hear him, if you ever hear like the, the new Brazilian uh, leader speak, he has made countless remarks that are bigoted and homophobic. And like he's just all about the idea. Like he's even stated that we should return things to a dictatorship down in Brazil. Like he's made those type of statements. And people are like, what the hell is going on? But there is a pocket of people down there who were so upset with the establishment before. They were like so upset by the corruption scandal that's still ongoing down there that when they heard about this newcomer who's anti-establishment – even though he said all these terrible things, there was a pocket who was just like, hey, he's doing it for a good cause. Like, he may say all these terrible things, but we have faith that he's going to make the change needed. Like, people saw him or see him as a necessary evil. And that's what's dangerous. Is like when we tolerate certain uh, uh, actions or uh, and certain rhetorics that we otherwise wouldn't. To be like, oh, this person says some terrible things, but hey... He's doing exactly what I like, so I'm going to let it slide. Like, giving people a pass like that also gives them power. And it's a situation where, like, okay, now you've given someone who's declared themselves a alt-right conservative or a nationalist, now they have that type of rhetoric, what do they do with it? Because when you state you want to return things to a dictatorship and that the one problem with your dictatorship in the past wasn't that it tortured people, that it didn't kill them, that... And those are statements by the Brazilian uh, president. Those are dangerous statements. But now people are like, hey, he's going to give us the change we need. The moment people conform to that ideology, how far does that go? Because if your leaders 
are, are considered a necessary evil and can like get away with saying things like that, advocating for things like that, what does that rep represent for the people? Because, you know, if you lead by example, that is the example. What does that say to like, you know, just like school children and teenagers? Like, oh, it's okay. If our president is doing it, it must be all right if everyone else does it. Yeah. <laughs> it's why do you think, why do you feel like, why do you think like, I feel like we're definitely in a time period where people are being more reckless because our government is being overtly, I mean, the government has probably always been reckless, but like, now we're being like, now it's being visually reckless. We're like, our sense of politics in the last like decade doesn't, doesn't look like anything like what it looks like now. Like, it's, it's just like, it's pretty much just like spoofed everything that like we've been living but to the point where like it's still real and you have to go by like how like everything is going you have to be this character everything's on the media it's like this or that oh this happened like we gotta talk about it because that's like what that's the new form of patriotism in this like this new like society it's like literally it's like it's like a reverse type of patriotism where like instead of like raising up our country we're bringing down our country but we're still like trying to get like pride from it. it's like look how good i'm bringing down our bad country <laughs> don't you think that's actually kind of fucked up it's, it's messed up but think about how many people love that rhetoric like that's that's the anarchist right like codename v is the anarchist you know and a lot of people idolize that type of statement and here's the other thing bro the fucking fact that like that movie showed v with like the anonymous mass or like that's where Anonymous got that mask from. Exactly. Like, what's the what, what is the name so, of the actual mask? So it's a Guy Fox mask. Guy, guy Fox. Fox was the 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 guy back in like the 1700s who tried to blow up the British Parliament, mm -hmm. and he failed. But like that was a gun gun uh, gunpowder treason. Mask was then later adopted uh, by Alan Moore in his comic, then made into the movie. Get the Guy Fox mask, then it became the Anonymous mask because it, it represents. The anarchist, you know? The guy who wants to go out and blow up parliament. Like, that is the statement that mask represents. But it's a weird statement because, you know, a lot of people can get behind that. You know, a lot of people are like, yes, take down the establishment. Occupy Wall Street was all about, you know, take down the establishment. But then you also had people who are conservatives who are like, hey, we also got to take down the establishment. If you're a conservative, you don't want big government. Like, that's a thing you don't want. That's part of the nature of being a conservative. So... On both sides. Okay, why wouldn't so why don't conservatives want big government? And what do you mean by big government? Because in my head, I'm thinking conservatives probably would want like big government in the aspect of better business. But unless well, like I'm no, that's in the not, private sector. The pro, okay, yeah, gotcha, like, gotcha. Most conservatives big government on the overall aspect for like the noble like people who can see like what's going on. Right? Well, like. It's strange. So it's it's it, I won't say it's definitely complex, but like in just a basis a basic sense, if you are conservative, you're more advocating towards the idea of privatization, so privatization of business and things like that, and the lessing and the uh, the the lessonment or the, and what's the word I'm looking for and the reduction of of government, like government oversight. The idea that government oversight over businesses and people and higher taxes, things like that is a negative in the eyes of someone who is a conservative. Like, that adheres to people to be able to, like, grow and make their own things. And so a lot of conservatives are all right, like, are just want, you know, privatization, privatization in businesses uh, in certain realms. And more emphasis on the private sector and lessening government 
that they see as a negative, like something that adheres progress towards like people in the private sector. And like we're in the private sector. Like, yeah. So it's a situation where it does uh, it, it can sound like very um, appealing to a lot of people in the private sector because it benefits people in the private sector. But having said that, there have been plenty of situations I would argue where like that's not the case. Where in many ways, like okay, you can have someone who is a conservative and a Republican in office, and they will do something that deliberately contradicts the idea of being a conservative. Uh, a quick example I, I would give, not to get like too into politics, but like this is just something I've always been curious about. The Patriot Act was created during the Bush administration, and it covers just the idea of that uh, in order to protect America, we have to spy on Americans. That's a big part of the Patriot Act. So a and, and it was it was passed. And so it's a situation where a conservative Republican president passed a bill that amplified government's ability to spy on the American people. So that is something that seems more authoritarian, or a lot of people saw it as authoritarian, rather than conservative. But you don't get into like that, uh, that mindset. Now, things like that, like the Patriot Act, is exactly what led to things such as uh, um, Anonymous and people who like just wanted to like, hey, the government can spy on us. Like Edward Snowden should prove that as well. Like, hey, the government can spy on us. They are spying on us. And they're selling that information. And that freaked out a lot of people. And they're like, hey, all right, if this is happening, we want to be anti-establishment. Like they're on both sides of the political spectrum. There are people who are like lessening, who want lessening of certain information. Or at the very least, regulation of certain, you know, agencies and information. And that's a tough thing to get because it's just the idea like who guards the guardsmen, you know? It's, it's hard to create a certain, I don't know, just bring it back to the idea of integrity. Like how you bring it back to that. But I think we can just focus on more of a niche, and that is the anarchists, because everyone loves anarchy, especially in the movies. Can I can I tailgate off of a oh, certain yeah. concept of like, and also realizing this was made by Alan Moore? So my introduction to anything of Alan Moore was not his comics at all. It was actually just him himself as a person, <laughs> like talking about magic. Alan Moore is an interesting figure because, like, I remember, like, my I didn't know he was a comic book artist, like, until he mentioned in one of his interviews that he made. Um, what was that other comic? Uh, Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen. Yep. Like, that's like when I realized, wait a minute, this dude who's a magician, he who, and also declared that, like, I'm going to be a a, a wizard or, or, or so. Or, yeah, yeah, magician. Yeah, I think he did say just magician. And, like, I mainly only watch his magician talk when he talks about magic. Mm-hmm. And what is kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, it is weird and realizing, like, he probably did make the biggest spell of all by making this particular movie be for Vendetta, Vendetta well, quick with that mask. Because the fact that, like, you kind of, like, and this is just my perspective realizing mm-hmm. right now, you kind of just made a spell. You were all the way in the U.K., and you're a low-key dude, I'm pretty sure, who has no type of power. But you gave power into a concept of a comic you made called V for Vendetta, along with other concepts of Watchmen that has some stuff to do with government, which is, like, a big mass control of, like, how we're living in our, like, society as humans. And people uh, people got inspired by that mask. Even though it's been used before, you repurposed it for that book or that comic. 
and someone repurposed it for the actuality of what that comic was talking about. And now anonymous, <laughs> I see anonymous just like is a seed planted by Alan Moore. And now it actually is really about what Vendetta is about. They live, they live out that anarchy of what Alan Moore created. And it's, that's like, if you think about it, like it's all just based off of inspiration and just being influenced. But like, you start realizing that's actually what alchemy and magic is. You know, I never saw it like that, but shit, that makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, the repercussions from the story, V for Vendetta, then becoming a movie, and then influencing anonymous and people like, holy shit, like, that's a good point. Because here's the thing, bro, like, <laughs> you, you with Alan Moore, like, I'm in comic class, and, like, Barb, or anyone's talking about Alan Moore, like, I'm, like, in my, mm-hmm. there was so many Days like when I before I graduate, I'm like in comic class, just like listening. Like, wow, people really only know Alan Moore for the fact that like he made Watchmen and V for Vendetta and when, whatever other stuff, and like a lot of it is p- political. Yeah, very. But cool. when I started watching Alan Moore in soft my sophomore year, this dude was just straight up talking about wizard like ma- magic shit, like legitimately like casting spells. Having paranormal, like, dude, I have a totally different perspective of Alan Moore. <laughs> this dude looks like a warlock wizard. I'm like, and he created a, I'm like, holy shit. He literally took comics to the extreme, well, not to a certain extreme, and it, he's talking about politics, government, this and that. He's not actually talking about what he's actually doing, because, like, that's a different side of his life. Oh, yeah. He's transmitting that through, you know, basic concepts that we live every day. And you start realizing the real magicians are the ones who control the advertisement, who control, you know, the media, this and that. And the people who can, like, do it just enough where, like, they're not in the public eye enough, they just do it through a comic book. (laughs) And do it so well that people who really want to delve into it, they'll take any little symbol, and that's how you got Anonymous. If I'm being totally honest now, I might have an actual legitimate question for Alan Moore. What does he think of Anonymous? Because like I've heard his, yeah. I've heard his uh, his uh, spiel on his movies because he's he's never watched or enjoyed any of his work being at- uh, adopted in a movie. Yeah, he's even expressed that in some interviews I saw. Very much so. And Alan Moore is his own character, his own beast, and we'll be talking more about him, especially for this, but like also for for Watchmen when we get to covering that because he's. He, he's like one of the big mad dogs of comics, and it's hard to deny like what he's made and how he's made it. He because he's there, he's doing it, and like Watchmen was a huge deal. But I digress. So, <laughs> what Alan Moore has done, as you've stated so eloquently, is this the idea that uh, his, his rhetoric and his politics has entered into reality, like what he sees as spiritual, what he sees as. Um, uh, you know, like a, a big deal as far as rhetoric in his comics has influenced and translated to like other people. How people, I don't know, utilize that is kind of interesting though to me because you have people like Anonymous is just a hacker group who wants to expose like their their uh, hacker or what's the word? It's probably a more technical term, but like they're they're internet uh, justice warriors. One can say because they go out and like if there is some sort of. Uh, uh, issue that they declare problematic, they will get involved in um, in either dismantling or at least like you know trying to show some shed some sort of light on something. 
uh, I know they were very involved in social, in, uh, sorry about that, uh, uh, cyber, or was it cyberbullying? Like, there were a lot of people who were cyberbullied, and they would, like, actually uh, plead to anonymous, like, hey, like, can you stop this? Like, this is cruel. And so they did give that some sort of light. The only thing about anonymous that's up in the air, and they're more, uh, I don't know, of an example of hacker groups, is just the idea, like, what they are, is no one knows who's involved. Like, they're just a group of hackers who all get together basically on a, I don't know too much of the technical parts of it, but they all get together just kind of uh, online and no one knows who each other is, but they can agree on stuff. Like, hey, do you don't uh, do you like uh, what's happening on the internet? Like, And they can just be like, nope. They could take a vote. They could just, could be two, could be three, could be a dozen of them. They could all get together and be like, hey, we don't like cyberbullying. Okay, we're going to do something about that. And they would either hack, shut down, or expose certain people's accounts. During uh, Occupy Wall Street, for example, uh, they were involved in identifying certain police officers who were uh, known to uh, commit police brutality because a lot of people were video uh, were recording everything that happened there and certain rhetorics like that. And so they're an example of anarchists, but they're anarchists, um, you could say, but in the cyber world. They're all about either whistleblowing or shedding light on information or trying to shut people down. Yeah. And that has its ups and downs. Like there are things they're limited to and there's things that they can, um, that they're amplified on doing. But they're not exactly V. Because V, remember, even though he's all about like, you know, hacking computers and taking out like, you know, the technological uh, pillars of the community, he is also like just out there literally offing people. Like that's one thing Anonymous isn't big on is the idea like, okay, if, 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 they, if they put out the hit on someone or if they had something like that, that would change the game entirely. But at least from what I know, they don't do that. Having said that, there are plenty of other like hacker groups out there who are aligned and uh, align themselves as social justice warriors and like do a similar rhetoric. Maybe like a subgroup of anonymous who actually do do that shit. You never know. Well, that's the thing is is it's just it, it comes in waves. You know, like the anarchists um, in, in in the form of the guy fox mask. Like that is that was a thing for the times. But in internet culture. Things can, uh, like what was popular one year, you know, can change drastically the next year. I think the same thing can be said for imagery. Even in within a month. Yep. And you could say the same thing for the imagery behind uh, uh, political parties or uh, social justice parties. Nowadays, even memes. Oh. Fucking Pepe. <laughs> Pepe went out. I like how there were a lot of conservatives uh, that, like, used Pepe. And, like, like just, like, some people say they, they stole Pepe. And like made him into their rhetoric, and that's like it's a weird thing. Like a meme became that political. Like they're politically charged memes, sure. Yeah. But Pepe or that uh, was just like a funny <laughs> meme that just was taken by some very weird ass like you know off thinking people, the alt right, computer <laughs> racist, whatever you want to call them, a fucking frog, bro. That's just sad. Yeah. And it, it really has nothing. Like I don't know all the memes of Pepe, but like. Oh, it, there was a point where, like, I started thinking, like, any Pepe sign was, like, bad. I'm like, is this guy, like, a racist? Is he, like, there's people I even saw, like, with, like, like Pepe, like, it got to the point where I was, like, thinking, like, anyone who had, like, a Pepe sign on their laptop, like, at school was, like, are they the racist person at MCAT right now? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, that's literally where my mind was going, and I'm just like, damn, you can literally take anything turn it around and if it's like that blunt enough like within society to like the known public 
if you alter it, just alter it just a bit based on like how people see it, it can really affect your opinions about any aspect that's connected to it. Well, that's one thing. Against the swastika. Oh, yeah. Well, like, uh, that's one thing I've been very interested in, though. In, in our time, everything seems like it gets politically charged in some way. You know, like, a good example I can give of something that shouldn't have been a big deal, but, like, someone decided to at least talk about it, or at least try to make it sound like a big deal, is the new Spider-Man game that came out for PS4. Mm-hmm. Like, someone wrote a blog about how they, like, they just were uh, completely disgusted by what the game's political... Um, uh, insight was all about, and they declared that it was disgusting because it had Spider-Man working with the NYPD and relating that to police brutality somehow. And I'm just like, whoa, Ugh. whoa, calm down. This is a Spider-Man video game. <laughs> Think Tom Holland swinging from rooftops. He's not going out beating up like minorities. Like, calm down. He, yes, he's working with the police, but it's a little bit scary to have anyone, including Tom Holland, swinging from rooftops beating up people as a vigilante who takes no responsibility. At least in the game, it's just the idea like, okay, he's communicating with a police officer. Like, he's showing he's not a criminal. He's just like, at the very least, a uh, a civilian trying to help. Which is the idea of Spider-Man. I digress. Like, that aside, it's just the idea that Spider-Man, especially a Spider-Man video game, shouldn't have been politi- like uh, politically charged like that. Like, no one had to make that or, or even talk about it like that. But they did. Because one of the big things is, as many people kind of like romanticize things like V for Vendetta or even Watchmen, and people are like, oh, this is cool, like, oh, this is like very grounded or this feels realistic. And to a degree, like, they do have some interesting uh, stories and rhetorics. However, not everyone can be V for Vendetta. Like, a Spider Man comic or movie or even a video game doesn't have to become like the anarchist who like topples down governments. He doesn't have to go that way. Yeah. One, it's not Spider-Man. And two, like certain things are built, you know, just for fun yeah. and for artistic purpose. Uh, artistic purpose. I hope I'm pronounced that, enunciating that correctly. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think, you're, I think you're saying that right. Artistic purposes. I know. I'm just I'm tripping over my words a little bit. Um, I trip over my words all the time. I feel like, I, like <laughs> when I'm talking like this, like I get so excited and I realize like, oh, yeah. oh man, I'm tripping over my words and I get my point across because I'm like, I'm so excited to like, lay it down like that and, uh, and then you just start realizing like man how faulty is other people's like way of talking you just need that's like why i realized <laughs> like you just need to sound good like you cannot fully be into like what you're talking about or like fully know what you're talking about but if you have that passion say a few words right maybe you're not totally it's just like you just kind of have to like you know weigh it out sometimes and be like all right that that's good like yeah even even just like comedic humor just like you know bring everything to the table like be real like sometimes like it doesn't have to be overly serious but like it's still like especially like with like charged topics like oh yeah you definitely need <laughs> to like have that like release of realizing like oh man like <laughs> well it's just a situation where like as, as great as you know alan moore's stories are and like how serious yeah. they can get you know not not everyone has to like to be to that level but there is a certain demand where like people are like oh because, you know, there are some people who are just like, everything's political or nothing is political. And I don't think, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, it's not like a washing machine. You know, it's not just like a medium, high, low, and that, and that's it. You know, like there's a lot more nuances in what we do. And, and just in the situation of, um, uh, what am I talking about? I'm losing my point here. No, I got my point. <laughs> just in, in the situation of like what we do and 
how we talk about things nowadays, like how people view like, you know, what is uh, what is wrong in this world, what is considered fascist, what people consider anarchy, and where they draw the line between those. It seems like the internet, especially just like what we've been talking about with Anonymous and like what's happening nowadays in like political realm, it seems like a lot of people are just like, okay, it's got to be like you have to be like on these extremes. And social media has pr- uh, produced like those extremes because, you know, if, if you're Facebook, if you're Instagram, your main objective is to get people to stay on your platform because yep. that's how you make money. And so if people stay on longer to talk about something controversial or to talk about something that they're politically charged about, then that's where the money is. That would, that, like, that's where the money is for Facebook and Instagram and, and other social medias like Twitter. So nowadays, like, if you, like, you, know, you can create something that is just good-hearted and like, you know, just what you want to make. But if it's not involved in the political realm, it's not going to get that massive wave or audience. And that's kind of, I don't know, it takes away like a little bit from like what individuals want to do. And it's more about what uh, parties want. Yeah. Here's, here's, I don't, I'm, we're, we're going on some good topics right now, but I feel like I just realized something. Hmm. When it comes to politics, I've been studying like more spiritual and like, you know, conspiracy type of like otherworldly side of it and realizing like <laughs> what people actually do to make these things happen. And I know like, we're going to stay on those topics of, like, politics, but me, like, especially growing up overtly religious, not overtly, but, like, really into, like, you know, just very dogmatic, like, concepts of, like, how the world works through religions and, like, certain concepts and doctrines. I really feel like that this is, it's so off topic, but, like, I feel like I do need to talk about, like, the concept of, like, magic and, like, how all this transmits. And I feel like the f- mm. best person, since we're talking about this movie and the creator of, like, that story, I'm going to I'm gonna put on a little YouTube video. I'm going to put it close to the mic so it's like, able to hear it. You can play some Alan Moore? Yeah, all talking right. about magic. And, you, and, like, so just to get this clear, you haven't heard him talk about magic before. I have you? not. You I haven't? I've heard Alan Moore talk, like, maybe a few times, but for the most part, I've only, like, Heard people talk about Alan right. Moore. We I'm might that kind we, of guy. we might dive, <laughs> we might divert into new subject matters, but I feel like this is just going to be more of like a bonding of like different worlds, like mixing together. Let's see where this goes. I'm curious. <laughs> this is and just to let you know, this is the first Alan Moore interview or in, any time I heard him talk forever. All right. This okay. is my introduction to Alan Moore. They're my pulling out a birthday, rather than merely bore my friends by having anything as mundane as a middle of crisis. I decided it might be more interesting to actually terrify them by going completely mad and declaring myself to be a magician. This had been something that had been coming for a while. It seemed to be a logical end step in my career as a writer. And the problem is that with magic, being in many respects a science of language, you have to be very careful what you say, because if you suddenly declare yourself to be a magician without any knowledge of what that entails, then one day you are likely to wake up and to discover that that is exactly what you are. Oh my there goodness. Is some confusion as to what magic actually is. I think that this can be cleared up if you just look at the very earliest descriptions of magic. Magic 
in its earliest form is often referred to as the art. I believe that this is completely literal. I believe that magic is art, and that art, whether that be writing, music, sculpture, or any other form, is literally magic. Art is, like magic, the science of manipulating symbols, words, or images to achieve changes in consciousness. The very language of magic seems to be talking as much about writing or art as it is about supernatural events. A grimoire, for example, the Book of Spells, is simply a fancy way of saying grammar. Indeed, to cast a spell is simply to spell, to manipulate words, to change people's consciousness. And I believe that this is why an artist or writer is the closest thing in the contemporary world that you are likely to see to a shaman. Let me know if you want to pause at any point. Actually, right there is pretty good, just because as much as I'd love to hear more, I think we have enough to work on right off of that. And I'll, I'll say this. Alan Moore, all right, he's, he's written some of like the world's best comics as far as like the superhero genre and like has, across the board, had some great stories. That explains a lot because most of his stories involve like very meticulous detail to symbolism in sometimes minute ways and sometimes very grand ways where you'd have to like tear out the pages and like put them all together. I love that about his work, like that you can dive into it and like deconstruct it and put it together and find out new information. Having said that, his rationale behind what he declares himself as a magician is a lot more practical than I imagined. Like usually when people say like, okay, they're a wizard and they just like declare that, I have no idea what that means. But as far as like how he broke that down, in the sense of taking the idea of spell and grammar in a, a literal sense is very interesting. And at least in the sense of like saying, um, okay, like this is who I am. I'm going to focus on my symbolism and what that means to me as a writer. I like that. That's cool. Having said that, he started that introduction stating that instead of having a midlife crisis, because that would be too mundane, he'd rather go mad. I mean... I, I, have, I have no idea what he means by that, because, like, he started going very logical after that. But where's he going from that? Like, what does he mean he went mad? Yeah. <laughs> He's making more sense than me. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell does that make me? I, I, haven't, I haven't made a bestseller yet. <laughs> Dude, Come like, on. this is why I had to, like, show you. Like, I was like, I need to show, like, because, like, like, ever since I started watching Alan Moore, like, interviews, I'm like, my own perspective was like the cult, magic, religion. I'm thinking this is what this dude is about. Oh, he makes comics. Okay, well, that's <laughs> cool. For me, I mean, I, I love making comics, but I'm not a comic guy. I'll be honest. I actually really am not a comic guy. I am a comic guy to a certain extent. I wouldn't say I'm a part of comic culture. You're definitely a part of comic culture, and I definitely think you definitely are on more of a I wouldn't say a better branch, but you're on a more higher branch of thinking when it comes to your comics because they deal with, like, very grand subject matters for, like, the human condition. He is also doing that, but the details that you don't... he He's not upfront about his, his, like, symbolism and, like, the meaning behind of it. He just gives it to you through his books, and it's kind of put out there. But, and we're, like, so amused by it, but it's not off-putting because it's not talking about with, like, magic and tarot and shit like that. 
but when you actually know Alan Moore and like, at least like from what I've gathered from him since like I was since I've been into like you know religion and like occult type of symbolism for years and just symbolism in general, I'm this guy is on more different shit than what you think he made Watchmen for. This dude is like he's on Alan Moore, yes, creative Watchmen. I get that. <laughs> but me, when I first heard him, this dude is on a different realm that I don't think a lot of people who are in the comic community fully understands. And if they do understand it, they're only getting a very splinter of what this is. This dude is in a different realm, bro. Oh, we do not understand what Alan Moore is about. And and, and those who are involved in, with Alan Moore, like DC, are mainly there trying to steal his character. It's like they, they rolled in Watchmen in the new DC universe, and Alan Moore does not like that. Because he's very meticulous. Like, he writes his work. You know, he finishes it. Once it's done, it's done. Like, he doesn't like the idea of it becoming a superhero in the franchise sense. Like, he doesn't want any of his Anything to be a franchise. Nothing like a franchise. He is... If there's anything he's anti about, he's, like, anti-franchising his stories. Like, once you create his character, he gives them an arc, and that is it. Like, boom, it's done. Like, you don't touch with it. Now, they... DC has, like, renewed some stuff for, uh, like, Watchmen, for example. Just as a little, I don't know, uh, marketing uh, conflict or nuances... They, they've, like, written the Watchmen into the DC Universe not just because they want them, but because pretty soon they were going to lose the rights to the character unless they wrote something new for them. So they, they purely did that just to keep those characters around in their, their lineup. Alan Moore, by the way, does not like that at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's either they haven't told him this news at all or they have told him and they've all, you know, covered their doors with a rebar and whatever it takes to keep Alan Moore out with an axe – because he's very, very big on, like, you do not write my characters. He definitely me. talks about that a little bit somewhere. I forgot exactly what he says, but I know he does kind of show his, like, disliking of that. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't blame him. Like, if, if I had, if I, you know, created the stories he had created or anything like, like that, I would be super protective of my work. Like, copyright material up the wazoo. Because it's just the idea, like, you know... It, when you write something that is totally yours and it works, like that is a fantastic feeling. But then to see other people like try to take that and piggyback off that, I, I can understand like the, the the rhetoric of like wanting to protect like what you see as your baby. Uh, having said that, like back to a little bit of the spiritualism of Alan Moore, I do know this about him because I, I don't know a whole lot about his uh, his rhetoric as far as like what he does outside of comics or his process. But I do know this. So he worships, as far as, as spiritual beliefs, he worships a second century snake goddess, which does not actually exist. It's a story about a snake goddess that doesn't exist, and he worships that non-existence. So he's a comic artist and writer who worships something that is a not just a mythological uh, uh, deity, but a deity that in and, in and of itself was never believed in in the first place. So... Make of that what you will, spiritually wise. But clearly this man is a warlock who is on a different level of understanding that I, I have yet to really uh, really grasp. <laughs> you ready to go d- deeper through this r- rabbit hole? We can, go, we can go a little bit further. I don't know if we'll be able to finish the whole video. Okay. I do want to finish the whole video, but we'll go a little bit further, see where this conversation leads. Because I'm curious to know more about Alan Moore. <laughs> okay. I believe the culture must have arisen. Originally, all of the facets of our culture, whether they be in the arts or the sciences, 
for the province of the Sham. The fact that in present times this magical power has degenerated to the level of chief entertainment and manipulation is, I think, a tragedy. At the moment, the people who are using shamanism and magic to shape our culture are advertisers rather than trying to wipe people up. Their shamanism is used as an opiate to tranquilize people, to make people more manipulable. Their magic box of television and by their magic words, their jingles, can cause everybody in the country to be thinking the same words and have the same banal thoughts all at exactly the same mind. Can we stop it there? Because because yep. that I think that's that plays into more of like what we're talking about, and I can see the uh, the similarities in like when he wrote V for Vendetta, because V for Vendetta is a story about like everyone being the same and how people strive against that. And I'll say I'll say this like you know. Say what you will about uh, what uh, Alan Moore does or how he says it, but I agree with like his, his rhetoric. The idea, like, okay, what we have nowadays as far as, I don't know, entertainment is through advertising. And that is kind of a shame because, I mean, it used to be something like glorified, like art, statues, things like that were glorified to like the level of godhood and things like that. And it's not that they aren't now, like in certain aspects. But it's just the idea, like, it, it used to be something that was seen as uh, uh, as powerful rather than something as so abstract that it's only a select few can do it. And, well, maybe a little bit with the idea that a select few can do it, but it, the idea of, like, art wasn't that abstract back then. It was just the idea, like, it was a literal form of, uh, of language. Like, uh, case in point, the Egyptians. For 3,000 years, the Egyptian culture did not change their art. It was like, no, you make this type of statue you write in this type of language this way, that is our way. Anyone who, like, changed that was not treated well. Like, one of the pharaohs tried to change up, like, the art style. And, and like, people rioted over that because they were just like, this is our way of life. This is, like, what we enjoy. Now, having said that, all of that, as, you know, as grand as it was, was all about the idea of everyone thinking the same thing at the same time, at the same moment. So I'm not saying the pharaohs had it completely right, but they had a certain... I don't know. Their language was a little bit different about it. Instead of it being franchise and advertisements, it was just about the idea of godhood and representing like that cult of the dead attitude towards their spiritual beliefs. So I don't know. Maybe it's the 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 changing of the names, but to a degree, I think a lot of it has to do with what do you like? I don't know. Maybe not choose your poison, but what you make of it. You know if. Not everyone is thinking the same thing at the same time, which they shouldn't be. Can people, should people get along with the idea of opposite opinions? And I would, I would like to think so. Not everyone needs to agree on everything, but it's how we talk about things that's so vital. Yeah. Nowadays, we don't have that. Hell, the social media uh, that we're talking about earlier about is all about the idea, like, you know, everyone thinks the same way this way. Everyone thinks the same way over that way. Now just fight and, like, just grow. But it's growth without purpose, you know? It's just... It's cancer. <coughs> in many ways, I would agree with that, in that statement, just because it's uh, it's growth without purpose. Like, you know, parties can grow 
you know, political statements can grow, but grow for what? Like, uh, an example is uh, Macbeth from uh, Shakespeare is a character who wants, who's ambitious for ambitious sake. He wants to be king because the status of, of a king has power. He doesn't want to be a ruler or a king because he believes in helping the people or understanding and like um, helping the land. He just wants that status. That is what we can, like at least in, in the story of Macbeth, that is part of the story which revolves around the idea of how someone who just wants ambition or to achieve ambition for ambition's sake can lead to cruelty and is not someone who is very sympathetic in nature. But nowadays, that seems to be an okay rhetoric. Like, how many outlets, how many celebrities, or even leaders do we see amplify that idea that, hey, if I'm trying to attain greatness for greatness' sake, that is okay. Like, that is a statement in America that we are all right with. You want to be rich for rich sake? You don't need, like, like morals are thrown out of it. And that is a problem. Like, what do you make of that? And again, I bring it back to just like what we're talking about here, anarchist or, or dictatorship, you know, like which, maybe not which would you rather be, but how do you find the balance there? Because there's always going to be someone who wants to be a dictator, but there's always going to want to be, uh, there's always going to be people who want to be that anarchist. And sometimes the two morph into each other. So I, I don't know what that makes of it. And I'll say this much of this podcast, even though it's time to write for the day that we're uploading it, it's also a little bit uh, uh, tense just because tomorrow's election day and people have been amping that up for better or for worse. So, <laughs> Election day for who? Like, who are the candidates? Oh, the, the midterms for, like, senators and... Uh, wait, you, you don't know about tomorrow's... To be honest, bro, I'm very ignorant to a lot of like political shit because I'm like that's fine. That's, that's I feel, fine. I mean, I'm I know about it. I'm aware, but like only in the aspect where I realize uh, I probably should do something for it. But I'm not in a mindset where I realize I don't really want to either do this for my country or other people because I feel like all this is somehow going to be manipulated to just like put us more in a place where we're at and probably not that's probably the most ignorant statement that i am making right now but i'm at least being honest because like based on like how i've been seeing like our country going like i feel like if anything we just need to prepare ourselves for like when shit actually hits the fan i'll, I'll say this just just to, to bring back to like or full circle with what we're talking about it comes down to like your integrity all right you don't need to vote but you have the opportunity to vote. And there's a lot of people who say like, oh, you should always work with your vote or, or you should always uh, uh, vote because it's your right, like it's your duty. Like people feel that type of responsibility. Not, I would say it's, it's important to realize you have the ability to vote, but it's a totally, it has to be like your choice to vote. A lot of people, especially on the media outlets that I've seen, like, you know, they want people to vote, like go vote, go change this if you really want to. On both sides, like people on both sides, like want that to be the case, and I'm not denying that. I'm not denying like those who don't want to do anything about it. But I would say measure the consequence. One thing that everyone can do is have a little imagination and say like, okay, if I do do this, what could happen? If I don't do this, what could happen? It's very easy just to say like, okay, yes, this is this is bad, and there is a potential like nothing will change, but. 
it all the matters on how invested you are and like what you see as your your moral code. Because and at the end of the day, it has to be your choice. No one can convince you otherwise. I can't convince anyone like to go out and vote for who I want them to vote for. That's not right. It's the idea of like, okay, if you want to change something, how do you see that change? Is it through voting? Is it through some other means? But you have to make the choice. Now, I'll say this much. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to make this a politically charged episode, but it is the idea that when we're talking about things like dictatorships and anarchy and V for Vendetta is all about that, it's hard to get away from those political uh, nuances that revolve around the story. And that have, as we've stated, have affected our pop culture nowadays. Yeah. And so it's a situation where, like, it, to, to some degree, I agree, like, the political, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, landscape nowadays is very gratuitous to a lot of people, and I, would, I can see how people are de disenfranchised. But... It all depends on, like, what you choose. Do you wish to focus on something else rather than politics and, like, you know, build your foundation elsewhere? Or do you feel the need to, you know, utilize your civic duty and vote for, like, the people you see as uh, best who can rep represent you? There is – I would say this much. There's no right and wrong there. It's just, like, what you choose and why you choose it. But it has to be you. Like, yeah. I don't think it should be involved in anyone else's dogma. Like, you know – Oh, I'm voting for this because my dad voted for that. Or, oh, I'm voting for this because that's what my state's voting for. Like, that's, like, throw that out. What does the individual, like, where does your voice matter? We follow other people's opinions. <laughs> there it is. There's the Kanye line. <laughs> I spotted it. <laughs> oh. But no, if, if you don't want to do, like, like I said, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But what do you want to do? Like, what do you see as important towards, well... In a situation of of uh, a political landscape, like what is important to you? What's important to me is on the political landscape. Um, well, I can't really fully talk about political landscapes because, like, I feel like my mind, my mind as a person, like I can get down with like talking about politics, but at the end of the day, I'm more involved in like the esoteric aspect of it that people aren't and probably always sh probably shouldn't be aware of like that's why mm -hmm. i feel like i purposely make myself the odd one out because like a, not a lot of people will understand like these other little basic concepts of like how people run government and like not to sound like you know conspiracy theorists like i definitely was one at one point but I think nowadays I'm kind of, like, stifled in, like, what I feel about anything because a lot of, like, esoteric ritual and, like, you know, religious, you know, practices are, well, they've always been in politics and government, but they're starting to be so out in the forefront and we're just kind of accepting it because, like, it's mainly, like, all the things I was, like, this is cool conspiracy theory type of stuff in high school. It's just, and then it died down a little bit and I was, like, all right, maybe it's not that cool anymore to be a conspiracy theorist because <laughs> everyone's going to think you're a nut. But now, there's video proof that, like, some of these conspiracies are actually happening and they're right in front of our faces. And, like, we don't want to think they're serious because, like, this is just fairy tale shit. But, like, we're still accepting the fact that, like, we have politicians who are connected with people 
who have these weird forms of high art, high art, which I think is just like black magic. And have you ever heard of Abrima Abramovich? Hmm. I don't think I have. No. All right. Um. So, so this kind of scales back to like the election with um, uh, you know, Trump and uh Hillary. Yeah. So. We're gonna get to the emails. So <laughs> the email. So I, I and like I'll be honest, I don't know, know fully about what was in those emails, but I do am aware. Oh, emails. Okay, sorry, sorry. I am aware that like, um, there's this woman who is like she's old as fuck, but if you look at her, she looks like she stepped into like the founding youth. Like she still looks like she's old. You can tell that she's like an older lady, but like she looks gorgeous. Hmm. Being an older lady. Okay. And, like, she does this thing called uh, uh, spirit cooking. And so, and there's actual video proof of this. Like, 20 years ago, like, and she's a performance artist, too, so that's another thing. Okay. And people eat it up. People love it. People pay hundreds of dollars just to sit in front of her and watch her stare at you. And you stare back at her. That's her performance. That's her. So that's one of her performances. Okay, okay. She's been doing this for a while. Okay. Like she's been doing this for a long time. Like she's seventy, and she's been in like this certain. And sometimes it's like that's interesting. Looks cool. All right, that looks a little bit dark and satanic. But like this is a woman who literally will get blood of like, like you know animals. Okay. Grinding up with shit or something like just whatever, smear this on a wall where there's this, like, weird little mummified-looking, like, uh, statue of a person in, like, this corner. I think this was, like, a video taken, like, the 80s or something like that. And, like, it's supposed to, like, cast a spell. Like, there's, like, some weird description. Like, she'll write something on the wall that's just, like, kind of cringy. And this is a woman who is highly respected by a lot of people in politics, especially Hillary Clinton, who has been, who, where they're like, they're in cahoots with each other. Even Jay-Z. May I ask why? Was this in the emails? <laughs> she, was, they, she was just, like, this wasn't in the emails, but, like, she is a person who, of this category of, like, you know, acceptance within, like, the community. I think, she's not from America. I think she's Russian, actually. Mm. Or something like that. She, it's just like, what are people, like, she's obviously, like, this woman who does some very weird ritualist type of shit, and she's in cahoots with, you know, our current people in politics right now. So she, so she sounds like her, like, the modern day version of Gregory Rasputin, as some sort of spiritual advisor to leaders of a country. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, like, like I'll, I'll say this much, Here, here's what, because here, here's the thing about the Clintons that I've noticed over the years is that they seem to be a certain type of catch-22. What I mean by that is that there is a lot of information on the Clintons. A lot. And the internet has made no shortage of stories of information out there on the Clintons. My only problem is how people talk about them, especially like in, in, in the realms of politics, either like them or hate them, it seems to be that there is so much information out there, it's hard for me to like measure and understand it all. One one of the big things that I've noticed is that a lot of people, like at the end, at the uh, uh, height of the campaign or, or or during the election day, right, 
Trump is, uh, is voted in office, everyone's chanting, lock her up, lock her up, because a lot of people declare that she had committed war crimes and needed to be locked up, right? Okay, both Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton are out of office. Neither of them hold any political office. They are political veterans, but they are veterans, but they have no political influence right now as far as official business is concerned. Yeah. Yet, at Trump rallies to this day, they're still chanting, lock her up, lock her up. And he has not, like one, he has not made any sort of uh, move to do that, nor I think can he, nor has any of the government or agencies in America done that. And I don't know why not, because it's an all-Republican uh, uh, House, or it's, it's a majority Republican House, Congress, and that they have the presidency. So if they wanted to move or pass a bill to do anything to like stating that Hillary Clinton committed war crimes and, uh, and actually go through due process to do that, they can do that now. Like, they have the political uh, momentum to do that. They haven't. They haven't done that for two years yet, yet they're still chanting, lock her up, lock her up. So what I'm curious about is what, like, what that means, to me at least, is that they've made Hillary Clinton, or at least the Clintons, into a catch-22. It means whatever anybody wants it to mean. It's just there in, in, uh, in a form of, uh, of riling people up. And that's what I find most concerning, is like, uh, at least what Alan Moore was talking about, the idea of everyone saying the same thing, the same place, at the same time. That is a literal rally chant, but it doesn't mean Make anything. America great again. Make America great again. But those things don't mean anything because when they, what they're uh, directed towards doesn't seem to have any action towards it. Like, all I'm saying is they have the House, they have why, the Congress, they have the Why do you think Kanye is making more of success off of great, Make America Great Again? Uh, Kanye <laughs> is an interesting figure, and he has done some interesting things. I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he, wa- he was trying to push forward a message – of, of just like love and peace and saying like, hey, we need to get along. We can't all be fighting each other. And he, he went to the he went to the office. He went to the White House because apparently he got access to the White House. Nope. With I the president. And it, he, I'll, I'll say this one. He did want to try to change things. He, he did want to say like, hey, you're the president. Show people that you can work with us and actually change things, make things better for like places like Chicago, you know, Ending certain uh, prison reform rules, like I'm, I'm for that. When like when someone comes forward and says like, "Hey, you can do a lot of good right now. Like you are riding this wave. You can ride it well." But Kanye recently has, has said like he is done working with the Republican Party or like saying that he's Republican because they haven't done anything. That's one of my big concerns. Is he he's given up on them? He said like I was tricked. He's claiming that like it's it's he's he's done working or, or trying to work with Trump because there hasn't been any action. That's my biggest concern. It's like okay, even if you completely disagree with the Republican Party, which I totally understand, I get that, but they still have control over all three branches of government. Why haven't they done anything? They haven't done nearly as much as what they could potentially do, as far as what we could see as good in America. So. When you have these type of issues, and there's a plethora of other issues we could talk about that just like go on and on with the Trump administration, but that's neither here nor there for like for like this, because as politically charged as this episode is going to be and is, I don't want to focus too much on Trump because everyone talks about that man. But I'm just saying, like, like I'm so tired of talking about Trump. I'm like, dude, I kind of <laughs> just want to like this dude, so I'm just like, I can just get away from like the people who hate. <laughs> dude, I'm more tired of people like saying they hate Trump than, like, probably a person who actually loves Trump, because, like, at least they're not being overly 
hateful. Like when people with just like bad energy in general, even if it's like for like a reasonable cause. Like no, no, like if Trump definitely if Trump's fucking up your life, especially if you're a minority, but like oh, yeah. they have the right, but like there has been like this certain like unhealthy culture around like going against Trump that I feel like is very counter um Counter uh, counterproductive, yeah. Counterproductive. Hey, I'll, I'll say this much, all right. It's very, and if anything is making him even stronger, it's very easy to be, for anyone to become a zealot in what the, in like what they see as uh, as their their moral compass. Like yeah. again, bringing it back to integrity, it, you know, you got to have that moral code. But you got to figure out how far that code goes, and everything should have a limitation. I'd say, like everything has its limits, including people and what they can do. And like, hey, you don't need like. A lot of people aren't going. A lot of people don't agree with my politics, and vice versa. I understand that, but we need to be able to talk about it as adults and just being able to have a conversation. Like, okay, we can at least agree to disagree. Because one of the biggest things is to be able to take away from the conversation. And say you've learned something. Like, yeah. okay, you disagree with this person. But why is that? How is that? And like not being able, not being able to talk to certain people because of their politics. This seems counterproductive to me. Because when you have that form of isolation, isolationism. It's very easy to construct a threat out of the people you don't talk about. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to talk to everybody because some people are just maybe obnoxious or intolerable. That is always a case for uh, for certain people, but you can't talk to you can't just isolate yourself from people who have different uh, opposing opinions than you. Because one, that's not how a democracy works. Yeah. Like, the situations when people turn it from when uh, situations become. Uh, democratic to dictatorship usually involve isolationism in some form. And anarchy is a good way to also isolate people. Like the moment people start talking about mobs or in, in any form, you know, it then creates that sense of fear. And yeah. usually, as that fear is created, people use that fear to construct a threat saying, hey. I know someone who is like that, and I definitely could tell he was aiming himself in that direction. But luckily, it kind of failed. I'm not going to say his name, but, like, he was a total, like, anti-fascist, anarchist dude. Probably mm -hmm. still is, but, like, obviously doesn't have, like, the good direction to, like, go forward with it. And from what I see, like, most people just don't fuck with him anymore because, like, he's a little bit too crazy himself. All, all I would say is, like, for the most part, I do think your actions matter more than your words. Yeah. You know, people can talk about, like, be as edgy as they want to be with their talk. And sure, I mean, it, it can take it, uh, people can take it too far. I'm not saying words can't, uh, like, you know, don't have certain weight to them, but your actions speak so much louder, you know? How many people in New York City say, like, I'll kill you, but don't actually do that? <laughs> like, me saying I'll kill you as just a form of expression and me killing someone, just, just as a, an example, as a gratuitous example, is just... It's there, you know. There's there's a big difference between those yes. two, those two. Like doing something and saying something, uh, -uh. and I think that's one thing that people seem to take away from in a lot of uh, a lot of ways is when people have these conversations or just start talking with like you know the opposite with people of opposing opinions. It seems like oh, having a different con uh, opinion, having a conversation, or forming your own opinions on things can then lead to people saying like oh that's that's bad, and somehow. Inadvertently, it seems like certain people who like are all about freedom of speech will then end up end up censoring the very people who are just you know like themselves, individuals. And it's weird when words are treated with more weight than actions. Like, yeah, and I find that extremely problematic. To yeah. say 
that I can do. Especially in this internet age where all you're doing is typing. Oh, yeah. Typing threats, typing this. And, like, no one actually probably will really do the things that they will do. But, like, they definitely can, they know they have the power that, like, they're not going to get in trouble for it unless, like, the CIA finds them if their threats are, like, really that bad. But, like, people can just do, like, people know that, like, they don't really want to do the actions. But, like, they can make the actions probably happen through what they say. And if they can get someone else to do the actions, they can probably also go with that. That's and true. Still just being safe in their own little home. And that's that's one of the interesting things about our age, but there is I think it's a consequence of the modern age. Because when the internet was first formed, uh just as a little bit of history, the CIA actually wanted the ability to cover up their IP address and be able to do things uh cooperate uh, uh covertly and you know, just kinda like just have a mask on basically and say like, Okay, we're 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 gonna be incognito while we like do this type of work on the internet. Which is partly necessary because if you're an agency and you have to compete with other governments, you don't want other governments to be able to spy on what you're doing. Yeah. So that makes sense. But I know what that is. Hmm. That's the deep web, bro. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, the the people who invented the ability to uh, cover up your IP address, they realized, well, if you give this to just one person, you know, if we hosted a party at your house and I'm the only one invited who showed up wearing a mask, everyone's going to be like, oh, that's Lucas. Because he's the only one wearing a mask, we can all see each other. So people can figure out, even if you're the only one who can cover up your IP address, everyone else will eventually figure out, like, oh, that's the CIA doing that right there. And then that makes you a target. The only way for governments to protect, like, uh, uh, or agencies to protect, like, you know, American interests in the form of the internet involved everyone being able to mask their IP address. And as a result, that did create exactly what you're talking about, the dark web, the deep web. That's why, like, because here's the thing, like, people, because here's, like, when I do research on the dark web, and I've been doing research on the dark web for years, mainly just, like, trying to understand this concept, like, people are, like, complain, like, people are, like, why does the government allow this to happen? Like, because the, the um, software or, like, the, I think, yeah, it's, like, a software that you need to use to cover up your IP address. It's called Tor. <laughs> Anyone can use Tor. You, it's legal to download it. Yeah. And it's also, and you can go on the deep web. It's legal to go on the deep web. You shouldn't probably make transactions with Bitcoin to like get drugs, you know, illegal guns, hire a hitman. Like, because yeah, like, yeah, you can do all that stuff. But like, if you think about it, the reason why the government allows Tor is because they need to use that. They are aware that other people are going to use it, and like they understand they have to deal with it in certain aspects, and they understand that very bad shit's going to happen on the deep web, but when it comes to the government, there's so much other secrets that are much worse than, like, at least to, like, the government, I feel like that's worse than, like, a dude who keeps people hostage and, like, kills them for red rooms. Just, like, which, that shit exists, too. Or, like, the worst of it all, child child pornography that's on the deep web, like, it's it's up the ante of how much horrible shit's there. It's terrible, and they do, to some extent, you know, they do try to stop that type of stuff, but the idea... Yeah, it's, they it's like still a, try, but, like... It, but it's a hydra. Like, the moment yeah. you take down one, five more pop up. Yep. But it's the problem where if you want to have secrecy, if you want to be able to, like, do things covertly and not have, you know, other countries or your enemies spy on you, everyone's got to be able to hide their IP address. And as a consequence, you know, it, literally, like, the idea, in order for there to be uh, total anonymity... Uh, or for, in, order, in order for there to be security, there has to be total anonymity for all. Yeah. And that is an interesting, 
albeit strangely democratic type of system where it's either everyone can be secretive or no one can. And that is a tough line to pick between. Like, yeah. I'll be honest. Like, I like the internet the way it is now. It has plenty of faults. But the idea that no, there are no secrets can be equally as dangerous because that is authoritarian right there. And so, it, again, it comes back to, like, like, pick your poison and how much of it. Oh, that was interesting. That was not a bell. We are not in a church. I don't think we're in a church. Are we in a church, Trey? Wait a minute. What happened? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. There was nothing that clinked to, like, make that. I think that's just, like... It's just a table. Yeah, it's just, like, the <laughs> structure of the table made noise. I'd like some people to think it's a church bell. We're inside a church. We're in one of those little towers. <laughs> Surrounded by all the, the birds. Like Daredevil. <laughs> there it is again. Uh, you gotta like bend this a certain way. Yeah. Yep, there it is. That's strange. At first, I was thinking like, is there a ghost in here or something? Like, <laughs> we are talking about magicians and Alan Moore and then some other think... political stuff. Like, it's like, is uh, Alan Moore like Beetlejuice? If you say his name three times, does he magically appear? Alan Moore, Alan Moore, Alan Moore. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, but no, it's just I I, I feel like that's a. Uh, Certain circumstances were tra- starting to get in at least notice. Is the idea like, hey, it, to some in some way, it's one for all or all for one. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that exists everywhere, and maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. But it's just the idea, like at least for certain systems, you know, for voting, for anonymity on the internet, things like that, or privacy on the internet. You know, it's either everyone has it or no one has it. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into voting laws, and uh, we're hearing more about that every day, whether we want to or not. not. <laughs> uh, but nah, I think I think we've covered the base of like you know just. Uh, uh, we, I mean, we started with V for Vendetta, and we spawned off from there, which was the intent, you know, because V for Vendetta has been covered a hundred times. Like, there's not much more that we could, or not anything new we could add to this. But I do think we could just, you know. Give us give a spiel on like what we saw its uh, contemporary values and how it is now, and we will be talking more about Alan Moore specifically on Watchmen and some of his other works, or maybe we just have to do a podcast strictly about Alan, Alan Moore. Moore. Yeah, I agree. I kind of this still part like even like we don't get into it more like I, before like we part tonight. Like I want to show you like this stuff like these videos of his interviews about magic like. This, okay. Like, it's just, like, I'm sorry, it's just, like, when I started coming to, like, when I realized he was a comic book artist, and, like, I'm ironically watching him while I'm having a newfound love for comics, but I literally just straight up watched him because, like, he came up in, like, my other videos about, like, the occult and, like, with wizardry and stuff like that, and, like, I realized, oh, he's a comic book artist who made Watchmen, and then I go to a comic book class, and, like, you guys start talking about Alan Moore, but a whole different spectrum that's just about comics, and I'm just, like... <laughs> you guys don't like when I was in class I remember being in class with you Barb talking about like Alan Moore and then I even like made a question like so like what do you think about his symbolism and like occult stuff like oh yeah like he does have a lot but like we didn't dive into it we just like oh, kind of yeah. touched it like and I'm like Barb you guys <laughs> you do not know this man is like I don't know what he's about but like I know he's about some shit it is a rabbit hole I do want to go down. I just hope I come out sane on the other side because, like, what Alan Moore does is very much Alan Moore-y. I don't know if I can, like, you know, 
adhere to that. I do want to hear it. I just, I don't know. I'm about to get more of Alan Moore. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't made the that more, joke. more. That's going to be the name of the podcast episode. More, 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 more. <laughs> oh goodness! All right, I think we've reached the end for this. This has been the decaf recap. recap. I hope people enjoyed this. This was a lot Trey of fun. Bell. I'm Lucas Blastos, and peace out. <laughs>